See? I'm not sure Paul did, but I did. And uh, it's great when the young people can be impacted. Now, I'll say it to some others. Young people, such as this one here. Don't mean the one sat on the knee, I mean the one. It's great for them to, to see other nations, other people going through the same issues they're going through. You know, because a teenager thinks I'm the only one. And their world just gets, it implodes, doesn't it? Because they think they're the only ones. But then we realize that there's others who think and feel like us. So it's important that they see that and identify with that. Amen? So if you have your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 3, please. And we're talking about understanding family dynamics. Understanding family dynamics. Every one of us is part of a family, came from a family. You didn't have the uh, immaculate conception. You didn't get here on your own. Every one of us, everyone in this room came through a womb. Did you? Right, and so I'm talking to the right company of people then. (laughs) And in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, Paul says this, for this reason, for this reason, so there's a question, he's been dialoguing before, and now he gives the answer of what, what he's talking about. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. You see that? And I pray that of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Why? So that Christ may dwell richly in your hearts through faith. So God understands family better than anyone. He's been in one himself. Longer than you and I can ever count. He knows family, understands family, he understands the dynamics of family better than anyone on planet Earth. He understands it better than sociologists. Yes? Why? Because he, of his own eternal existence, he's had a long time to view it. He's had a long time to analyze. And he's had a long time to think about it before he created it. Did he not? God understood before he created, rather than the sociologist have to spend thousands of years, hundreds of years, hundreds of man hours analyzing, God already does that because he's got time to do that. So what the sociologists claim to understand and have understood through research, God always knew, and that was the strength and weakness of a society is in the family. If you... If a society breaks down, it's because of the family unit. Morals and values and principles start to shift and drift from generation to generation, which means aspects of, gen- of society begin to go degenerate, become, to become dysfunctional, which creates behaviors, thought patterns, and that, then they become accepted as the norm. Then somebody comes and pushes those and challenges those, and then she tries to clean them up and try to keep some values. And then there's, a, there's this sway, swinging, and, swinging and swaying, we'll call it. To and throwing. Yes? And, but God always knows that if you go past the tipping point, you then open the door to dysfunction. 
too. And dysfunction is viewed differently depending on who's viewing the dysfunction. Which body of people are viewing it, they never look at themselves. They're always looking outwardly rather than inwardly. But God sees, us, sees everything when he looks at it and said, that's dysfunctional, they are dysfunctional, you are dysfunctional. God can go right to the individual or he can go panoramic. That's what I like about God. So God understands the family unit better than us. So when we talk about families, put it in this four context, if you, if you will. We talk about clans. In the Bible, it talks about clans. Now, in Judges 6, uh, chapter 6, verse 15, talking of Gideon, he said, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest. So he identifies that he comes from a clan. Yeah, it's not only the Scottish and the Irish who talk in, in terms of clans. I come from the clan MacLeod. Right? It's not only the jocks who speak about that or the Irish. Clans have been going for centuries. Yes? And it's a particular type of people or body of people on the earth, the clans. Next minute we have, then we have, so we have the clans, then we have the tribes. Tribes of people are moving around the earth right now, going from nation to nation. Some are seeking, refu uh, uh, some are refugees, some are asylum, some are economic migrants, others marry. Um, there's multiple reasons why people move around the earth. But tribes of people are moving. And God deals with tribes, God speaks to tribes, and God speaks to clans. Why? Because he created them. Yes? If you want a reference for that, it's 1 Samuel 18, 18. But David said to Saul, who am I? And what is my family or my father's clan in Israel that I should become the, uh, the sorry, tribe in Israel, that uh, I should become the king's son-in-law? So tribes, we get the tribes of Israel. So we know tribes, God spoke to tribes. Then we get the next race of people, we get descendants or the family lineage. So they obviously come out of clans and tribes. So we get descendants. God says to Jacob, I will give your descendants the land. So God works with descendants. I am a descendant. You are a descendant. Yes? Now, my wife, coming from Scotland, is part of a clan. Every clan in Scotland has its own tartan. That's the true test whether you're a true Scotsman. Whether you have your own tartan. Yeah? So if you haven't got one, you're not classed as a true jock. But Carol's got one. Coming, his uh, maiden name, the tribe, the clan I should say, it's all there. Go and figure that one. And then we have households. God deals with households. These are four ways that God speaks and deals with humanity. This is how God speaks. He speaks to clans. He speaks to tribes. He speaks to descendants. He speaks to households. And out of households, he gets you. You, the individual. Yeah? You see that? As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So it's a smaller group of people. My household can be two. 
It can be one. It can be three. It can be ten. Yes, and then you've got to go and build something else after that. So Paul understands the origins of family when he's praying. Why? Because an origin is important when it comes to understanding and forming and shaping families. We all have origin. Don't we? And that's why people spend a lot of money to try and find out where they come from. What's their family history? Did they come from a tribe? Did they come from a clan? And what have they got? What, you know, because everybody wants to feel like in their family, our family were noble. Our family were awesome. It's amazing when you go and buy uh, a, you know, your family's name, it always says something beautiful. It always says something inspiring. Courage or hope or courageous or valiant. It doesn't say scuffers. It doesn't say it comes from, a, comes from a, a tribe of dead legs. They're wanted. They're still on the run. It doesn't say those kind of things. Why? Because they're all meant to inspire the family to believe that your tribe, your descendants, your um, clan tribe, yeah, that's what I said, um, come from some noble origin. Yeah? Now, I know where I come from. So, and I know I like my family motto. Because it, we have fun with it. So it makes me, when I, when I look at it, I think, yeah, that's right. It sounds about right. But is there others? Of course there are. Are they better than mine? No. But, and you can pay anyone to write anything on a plaque. In fact, I was in York only a couple of months ago. And in this shop, this is no word of a lie. <laughs> this is no word of a lie. There's a clan called the McHiggins, right? Now, we know it doesn't exist, but in this shop, you can buy it because they know tourists come. They know the tourists come, and they think everyone's looking for Scottish and Irish history. I think they're looking for a passport, right? The clan McHiggins, and I just started laughing. I thought, I've got to show the mother-in-law that because there's no clan McHiggins. But if there's gold at the end of it, there is. The clan McIggins, eh? Can you get that one? So I had to tell her she laughed about that one. The son of Higgins, eh? So Paul knows the value of origins. Not oranges, origins. Origin, should say. Because it's, it's important to the, the forming and shaping of who we become. Paul was kneeling down before the father. And he's saying, for whom the whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So he's pointing at the creation of the earth, God's family finds its origins in God. Yes? So we weren't a ball of fire, we weren't a, a, a matter that just exploded. No, we were created from the creator himself. And our origin is there. So that makes him our father, we are his children, that makes us a family. Right there, if he's father and I'm his son, that makes the family. So where was I born? Born in heaven, made on earth. Yeah? Get that in your T-shirt. Born in heaven. Have you seen the advert on the, or have you heard the advert on the radio for the Royal Marines or the, the forces? And they say, born in Manchester, made in the Navy or made in the Marines. Yeah? So born in heaven, made on the earth. That's it. That's where my origin comes from. Yes? Why was I made in? Because I was made in thought. 
Before the world existed, I was there with him. But then he took the reality, someone had to make me on the earth. Yes? So I was born on the earth, made in heaven. Whichever way you want to look at it. My origin's my dad. My dad's bigger than yours. If you've got the same dad as me, then our dad's bigger than everyone else's. Yeah? So God has a family in heaven, and God has a family on the earth. Yeah? God's just one big father. He loves his creation, he loves his kids, and he loves being with his kids, and he loves intimate relationship with his kids. God doesn't want them, God does not want to be a McDonald's father. He does not want to be the weekend dad. He doesn't, and he doesn't want to give us a happy meal. There's the analogy for church straight there. People just want the McDonald's father. And at weekend when they meet with him, they just want a happy meal. And give a toy in it. God doesn't want that. God is your father. Yeah? And he'll move every obstacle there is to try and be a 24-7 father. Yeah? Because God doesn't, the only obstacle that God has is your heart, your free will. So Paul understands this, he's praying. And he's praying that God strengthens his own family. And he's praying that, that God strengthens you through his spirit in your inner being so that you may have faith. Why do we need to be strengthened in our inner being to have faith? Why? Because this relationship, this family requires faith. Yeah? How many times when dad speaks to you or dad disciplines you, you feel like dad doesn't love you? But 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is useful for what? Teaching, training, rebuking in matters of righteousness. A father has to do that to his children. Any child that's never been rebuked by the father is a father that just lets them get away with anything. You have to be rebuked at some point. It's part of the training. Yeah? And it doesn't seem pleasant, does it? But it's useful. Why? So when you're doing the same thing with your children, if you hadn't seen it, if you hadn't witnessed it, then you could never have paid it forward. You now see the value in why you're doing what you're doing because your mother and father did it. It didn't seem pleasant, but it's right. So Paul sees that God as a father, God is a family, and it needs strengthening in our inner spirit through faith. Our relationship in this family is through faith. Would you agree with that? It is. So God's always been interested in families. It's always been in his heart right from the beginning. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he always knows, he, that he always knew and does know the dynamics that are needed to keep the family unit together. You know, there are dynamics. Communication's a dynamic. Forgiveness is a dynamic. Can someone see who's in the, in the foyer there, please? The first dynamic that God created was called Adam and Eve. I like this morning's prayer meeting. Veronica's picked up on the very thing I'm speaking about. David and Veronica, I should say. And they led us. And she led me into this part. And I thought, this is where I'm going this morning. Right? <clears throat> and Adam and Eve was the first pattern that God shows on the earth that this is going to be the family. This is the family. Adam and Eve. Man and woman. The pattern. Right there. Now we know our world and our society is challenging that pattern, but this is this came first. Wasn't Adam and Steve? It was Adam and Eve. So we see the pattern there. And this was the first dynamic God shows on the earth. 
Why? Because biologically, they both can produce. They both can represent. So they both can produce and they both can represent the family dynamic throughout generations. Because God is a generational God. Yes? Who's going to create tribes, he's going to create clans, he's going to create households, and he's going to create lineage, descendants. So this is the dynamic, the framework, the vehicle that's going to carry God's pattern and keep God's pattern all the way through time. True? This is his pattern. This pattern is his biological and physiological pattern. This is, pattern is also his dynamic. You cannot replicate this. Only God can do this. Yeah? You know, they might try and replicate certain facets of our body. Bone tissue and things like that. But you can't reproduce another human being other through the way that God designed it. Yeah? There's no other way. You can't make a bionic man and, and give him the same soul and spirit that God's given us that comes through the conventional way of intercourse. Yes? So God's created something that he knows can never be rivaled. But it sure can be tampered with. It can be tampered with but never reproduced. So he's got the, he's got the pattern for how he did that. In essence, in Genesis, Genesis is the genetic key to our world. It explains and unlocks how the world was created. And Phil and I had a good debate on that last night. He was wrong, I was right, as usual. But <laughs> The genetic key is found in Genesis. It's the key that opens the door to understanding. But it's also the key that closes the door to understanding, depending on how your heart is. So we understand that there is a dimension and a dynamic that comes out of the book of Genesis that scientists and every other ist are trying to still understand today. But it's a mystery that people are trying to understand. Now, we know that scientists and every other kind of person on our planet have messed with this formula. They've messed with it. And they all say they messed with it and here's, here's their uh, thought, because we want to create more options that we feel better mankind. And bring in more happiness. So we want to create another section. And then out of that section, we want to create another section. You read to us this morning. Was it David or you read to us? Strange piece of legislation. Just for the word parent. When you're sending letters out and they try to explain what a parent is. And you just think, just say the person in charge. But again, we're trying to create alternatives. Why? Because we've got to make room. Because we believe these will give us a voice. These will, give, these will accelerate and better mankind. No, they won't. No, they won't. Why? Because the creator's already said it. Ah, that's too old-fashioned. That techno notice of that. No, I do take notice because that was the first pattern. And that stood the test of time. True? And our society is dislocated and fragmented and dysfunctional. And any other word we can find to, to, to come to the same point is broke. Amen? Why? Because they've tampered with something that was... Never, decided, never created to go in that way. 
So from Adam and Eve, we get Cain and Abel. We all know that. And Cain and Abel, fast forward in the genealogy somewhat here, we see that God's principle then moves from the Adam and Eve, the small family, to fathering. So in the garden, we see the micro family, how it starts, Adam and Eve. But God always had the big picture. Nations, generations, yes? But he has to start with two. Does he not? You never know what can come from you. That's why you never despise the day of small beginnings. Do you think this couple ever saw what we now see? No. But from two, a whole race has been spawned. Yes? So we see the principle from Adam and Eve, God switches then into fathering of nations. And he chooses a man called Abraham. And he said, out of you is going to come nations. Out of you is going to come seed. Seed. Now the seed has, has potential. The same seed that's in Adam and Eve is the same seed that's in Abraham. The seed to produce. The power to produce. But God's now using a man called Abraham to be a father and he's going to now birth and bring some, dimension, bring some um, names and framework to what we now call his family. Out of um, Abraham came tribes and nations and clans, and households, and individuals. So God starts shaping the landscape now. He starts giving it some pattern out of a father. Amen? And he promises Abraham, out of you will come. Out of you will come. Now, when we get married, or let's, put, let's wind the clock back. If I meet a woman... And she likes me and I like her. What do you think the likelihood is if we get together? Out of us, something will come. Yes? Out of every relationship, something comes out of every relationship, good or bad. There's something that happens when, when man and woman come together. Chemistry. Out of this relationship comes chemistry, comes dynamics, comes children. Out of just two people coming together, so many things begin to emerge. Just out of two people, don't they? So we see then out of Abraham comes Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now out of Jacob comes what? Tribes. Israel. And we see God is just using time to start painting the landscape of what family. Now out of tribes, God zooms in and talks about families. Out of clans, we see God talking to families. So God, it's not a problem for God how many there are on the earth. Because he can, he can interact with, an, with a, a family one-on-one. -on -one. But then there's times when God speaks to nations. Then there's times when God calls the elders to assemble the tribes, the clans, and the households. So they can hear all hear things in his hearing. These are various ways that God can bring families together so they can hear the heart of God. But where there is no tribes and clans or no leaders to assemble, he can go straight to the household. Speak to the individual. So we get races. Out of tribes and tongues, we get races of people. Now, you know the Bible only looks at race in, in, one, in a couple of ways. Sinners 
and non-sinners. Jews, Gentiles. Yes? So when God's looking at races of people, it's very easy for him. You and I create all these sections. White, Caucasian. Half, I'm not quite sure. Diluted. Black, brown. What's black and what's brown? And then they call us white. We're not white. We're pale. White is that color. Yeah? And then there's different shades of white. Lisa's browner than me. She's been in the sun longer than me. And every African nation are not all the same. Not every Indian is the same color. So we've got this Pantone. You know what Pantone is? All the shades. God likes shades. God likes colors. God likes his design. Why? That's just another dynamic. So, winding the clock back a little, God started the family. So when we see God created Adam and Eve and the tribes and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, then God begins to look for something a little bit more intense out of a family. And the first thing God looks for in a family, do you know what it was? Righteousness. The first thing God began to look for in a family was righteousness. How do we know that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Genesis chapter 7, verse 1. God is still looking for the same trait in Noah. God's still looking for that same trait on the earth today. Righteousness is the one thing that sets these families apart from every other family on the earth. Out of all those tribes, all those nations, all those descendants, all those households, I live and you live in suburbs with thousands of people. True? Same side, I think he's got 300,000. Then we've got Manchester and all the, the areas there. And then we've got Manchester as a whole, 2.7 million, I think it is. So out of all 2.7 million people, God is looking for righteous households. Now, how many of you know out of 2.7 million, there ain't a lot of righteous households? But it still doesn't stop God looking. Because they're the people God is going to interface with. Yes? So the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark and your whole family, comma, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Was he just speaking to Noah? No, I found you and your family righteous. Because how many times do we see in the Bible, God spoke to a man and his whole family died? Because they weren't righteous. So God sees a righteous family on the earth. You and your family. I like what I'm seeing. I like what I'm sensing. I like what, what the aroma that's coming from your family. All your, fam your, all your family are in line. Job. Hey, Job's family didn't, weren't, didn't all get saved. Job lost a family. But here we see a family. Now, you could say there was reasons God needs a family. But God's still looking. Why did he choose this family? Because this family was righteous. God could have chose any other one on the ground if he could have found another righteous man. So it wasn't just a righteous man God looked for. It was a righteous man with a righteous family. Why? Because Noah shows us the principle and first dynamic that we need in every family is what? Leadership. 
Noah shows us the first dynamic God looks for in every household is leadership. And it was that leadership that was able to not only bring and govern righteousness in himself, but in his own family. And God says, I like this family. We can use this family in the future. In the new future, in the new beginning, because it's a new beginning, because they're going to flood the earth. In the, in the new beginning, I'm going to use this family out of all the families on the earth. Noah's family is the righteous family. That's the pattern right there, folks. Right there. God is still looking for a righteous family with righteous leadership. Righteous leadership right there. And God provided for that righteous family. And God will always provide for the righteous family. God built through or given him the skill and the wisdom because he'd never built a boat before. God gives him the materials, the wisdom, the know-how, how to build what he needs to protect his family. That's the same dimensions that God still releasing to every, every family that's righteous, pursues God. God will give you the ability, the insight, the wisdom, the grace to build what's needed to protect your family. Hello? It's right there in Genesis. We know that the human race had become wicked. Unrighteousness was now on the earth. Now, have you seen the movie, Noah? Rubbish, throw it away. It's not right. But you never expect it. It's Hollywood, and Hollywood's owned by Jews. God begins to see the human race and becomes, and he sees that a wicked, uh, this race had become wicked in his own sight. So he selects a family, sees, he watches, he scours, he looks on the earth and he finds Noah and a family. He finds them by name, he finds them by nature, he finds them in geography, he knows where they are. So the issue is God has always looked for, a, God started with a righteous family, he started with Adam and Eve. Then he looks to Noah and his family. God's always looking for righteous families. Only righteous families will rebuild the walls. Hello? Only righteous families will rebuild the walls. Unrighteous families have walls that have been breached. Righteous families rebuild the walls. So, so God starts the family business all over again through a family. All God needs is a righteous family. But a righteous family needs leadership. So guys, girls, you've got to start. Listen, if you're on your own, you're the leadership. If you've got a husband who's not a Christian or a wife, you know what? Still, God still gave a protocol for how a family should be used. But ladies and gentlemen, start praying for the other partner. More and more and more. I had to do it for years. But I still had to keep leading. Still had to keep leading. And if, and if your husband is not a Christian, you still need to follow. But the Bible says there's a covering God gives you ladies. Your husband's covered because of you. But it doesn't mean to say you can lead. He's still got to lead. Husbands still have to lead. There is no backseat drivers in families. Men have to lead. How you do it is another question. Involve your wife. It's not autocratic, lady. Sit down, shut up, you do this. It's not like that. It's a different, this is, that's a different message. Okay? It's a different message. So we see that the first dynamic is God looks for righteous families. And out of righteous families, 
must come righteous leadership. Okay, that's the first principle that God looks for on this earth. God knows full well, and Moses understood full well, and every pastor understands full well, and every father and mother understands full well that when it comes to leading people and families, they cause you stress. True? People cause you stress. Even the ones that love you. Even the ones that look in your eyes and tell you, I love you, Daddy. I love you, darling. I love you, sweetheart. People who love you still cause you stress. Now, if the people that love you cause you stress, what about the people who are not necessarily that enamored with you? Yes? Come on. Not everybody. I had to learn a lesson very quickly in life that not everybody likes me. I don't know why, it's a mystery, but I just haven't got a clue why. I thought I was a likable guy. I am to some people, but to others, I'm not. Get over it. Get over it. I've, I quickly discovered that all the teachers didn't like me. And I let them know it was mutual. <laughs> teachers didn't like me and I didn't like teachers. Some of them I did, but not many of them. Now that was my fault, not theirs. My attitude. So we understand that out the family, the second dynamic we understand is that it takes effort to keep order. Anybody found their family a doddle to lead? Then maybe I should let you look after Ben, my son. I always say to people, if Ben would have been my first, he'd have been my last. Scott was easy. Scott was very easy. The first one was easy. The second one was a little bit more difficult. The third one, dun, dun, dun. And now I see his own daughter doing the same thing, and I just laugh, and I just say, payback. The Lord has repaid me hundredfold. He said, was I really that bad? I look at Carol and say, was he that really bad? Yes! But we love him. We love him. Numbers chapter 11, verse 12. Did I, listen, listen to the complaint here that Moses has. And I know none of you have felt like this. I know none of you have felt like this. But if you try and lead people and try and keep the dimension and the dynamic of God's family, righteousness over a family, you're going to have problems. So listen to what he says. He's fed up. It's come to a point now where they're whinging over food, right? And he's, now Moses is just going to have, he's going to let God have it. He's going to rip. He said, did I conceive all these people? Like, you don't ask God that question, do you? Right? But he's feeling rather brave, Moses, and he's going to give it God. Did I give them birth? You can imagine God looking. You're going to get a slap in a minute, son. Watch your mouth where you speak to dad. And take your hands out of your pocket and put your phone down. Did I give these people birth? Why did you tell me to carry them in my arms? As a nurse carries an infant to the land that you promised an oath to the forefathers, where can I get meat for all these people? There's no Asda. There's no Sainsbury's around. No, take a look, God. 
They keep wailing to me. You can imagine God saying what? Like you're doing to me. Give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. They keep wailing to me. Give us meat. I can't carry them. They're a burden. The burden's too heavy for me. You get the feeling he's under stress. Is this how you're going to treat me? Put me to death right now. If I found favor in your eyes, and do not let me face my own ruin. Now that's a guy that's had it up to there. And he feels he's got the grace to cast off restraint in front of God. Now when Job did that, Job got in trouble. God says, who is this who darkens my counsel? Was you there, Job, when I laid the earth's foundation? No. And, you get, and then Job went, this is Job's comment, and I put my hand over my mouth. Job went, uh-oh, stepped out a line, crossed the borderline. You can imagine going, Job, Job, stop, stop. okay, God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I sh- stop. I, but here's Moses giving it God all he's got. And you can see how God works with man differently when you look at Job and you look at Moses. Yeah? You can see how God interacts with people differently. How God gets, how God doesn't slap Moses at that point, but he slaps slaps, uh, Job. Job, shut up. When a man puts his hand over his mouth, he knows he's gone too far. Yeah? So the point is this. People cause you stress. Leading this family dynamic requires a grace. To be a mother and father in today's society requires grace, skill, knowledge, and access to good people. Yes? Access to good people. Teenagers don't think they're a pain. But we'll just let you know, you are. (laughs) You are a pain. But you are a lovable pain. And we have the grace and tolerance to let you make mistakes. But a man not far from me, I don't know who he is, a little fella, one says to me, you're going to make a mistake, make sure it's a new one. But teenagers keep repeating the same mistake and expecting the same measure of grace. True? And we've all been teenagers. Our kids don't think that. They think think we were born old. And the thought that we are to create them, freaks them out. Why should you get all the fun? So, We see the dynamics. God looks for a righteous family, a righteous leadership. Why? Because the righteous leadership will be tested. Now, what happens when the righteous leader, listen, what happens when the righteous leader speaks to God like the unrighteous kids speak to them? You can't talk to God like your kids talk to you. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. You can't do it. You can't say to God, go on. (laughs) I know you've all done it. 
We've all done it. Good. <laughs> Do you know what you're flipping doing? Oh, my, my classic is, God, you're tight. <laughs> you're dead tight. It's not fair. Do you remember saying that as a kid? It's not fair. God says, I don't do fair. I just do right. I don't even do wrong. I just do right. Fair is not a fruit of the Spirit. But right is. Yes? So we can't expect God to deal with us differently if we deal with God like that. We will get dealt with God, but not in the way that we hope. We've got to show our kids there's a way of bringing your complaint. Ah. Now, I know you all know that. And I know you're, that makes sense. It's perfectly logical when we talk about it in the context of the family. Yes? Tonga, Tombikane, they're the young ones here right now. You could say their parents would say, there is a way you speak to your mother. There's a way you speak to your father. And everyone knows that and accept that. But does mum and dad apply the same rule when they don't get what they want with other people outside the family? So when you're stood in the queue in a shop, someone jumps up, jumps out in the queue. Come on, we all do it. Someone cuts in on the road. And the kids are in the back going, okay, dad, you've just shown me the pattern. you just shown me the pattern. Look at that idiot there. Flipping nomad. How did he get a license? Okay, Dad. That's how you feel about the, dri the driver. You don't know the driver, but you've just written his life off. Yes? Come on, we all do it. So the monkey that sees becomes the monkey that does. So we cannot treat God like Moses treated him. Even though the pressure and the the ferociousness of life sometimes can, you know, listen, we've all had it in for God. Every one of us has had it in for God. Tell me who's not shook his fist. I'll take your silence as being we're all guilty. How many of us have never been disillusioned, disappointed with God? Of course we have. But God says, son, I'm going to show you why and how because all things work together. But we don't, that's a, that's a mystery to me. And it's a frustration. Right? I'll speak to you about that another day. How you handle that frustration. Because there has to be a way you deal with that frustration. Because if you don't deal with that frustration, that will deal with you. You've got to learn to accept some things that you can't understand. That takes a level of wisdom. So it's like, you can almost like God saying, back off, fella. You're going a little bit too far here now. And I remember one day in my factory, loud, and I'm giving God a good piece of my mind. And I'm reading this book, or this book's reading me. And I'm going to give God a piece of my mind. And as I walked out of that factory, loud, he had to wear earmuffs, I heard, as clearly as you're hearing me now, you dare. And I was like Jonah, God is my witness. I told you this before. God is my witness. I was like Jonah. I ran to the back of my machine and I got underneath the desk. Because when he said, you dare, it was like, I heard dad speak. Yes, I knew I was in trouble. Go one, say one more word, son, you're just going to regret it. Oh, no, God's all love. That was love. He was telling me there's a protocol. 
Okay, son, you, there's some things you don't understand, but you don't come at me like this. There's a different way. Now, some of you, when you can't get your way, you might come to authorities, different authorities, let's just use pastoral authority, whatever authority it can be, and you think you're in your right to state your rights, of which you are. But you also have the right to remain silent. You also have the right to think about how you're going to approach somebody. Right? We're not a win-win is when you think about why you're going to say something before you say it. And the consequences that your words are go- could have. That might cause you to go quiet a little bit, think about, change some words, and then come in again. That's your right to do that. But your right is not to go blah, 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 boom, spray the room with your guts. That's not your right. Why? Because that's not the fruit God's looking for. Because he's looking for a righteous family. Hello? A righteous family. How many of us have all been grounded because we crossed the unrighteous line? <laughs> right. So I'm speaking to the, the crowd called, we know what you're on about. The strength of any family is, is in what it dedicates its life to. This is another dynamic. The strength of any family can be seen in what it dedicates its life to. But here's the issue. Here's the, here's the dilemma we see in the church. The strength of any family is in what it dedicates its life to. Some families dedicate their lives to correct morals. Raising their children up with good morals. They put all the time and effort with the family trying to raise a good, honorable family. Is that the wrong thing to do? No, of course it's not. That's a good thing. And there's millions of families trying to do that. Millions of families. And that, that's irrespective of social class. Yes? Money's not a question. It's not an issue about morals is the issue. So we know there are many, many families. So just like the sporting family. The family wants to see their kids excel in sport. So they've got every available week, every available hour is spent taking their kids to sport classes so they can get the coaching in the hope that they'll become professional, in the hope that they're kids. So they live their whole life through the kids. But you've got a life as well. You've got a life. Your kids might not even turn around one day and say thank you. So life's more than your kids. But your kids are a massive part of your life. Yeah? But you've got a life. I tell my kids when they want me to babysit, you know, mom, me and mum have got a life. You know that life you told us to get? We got it. We got it. This is it. We're living it. It's true, is it not? Now you've got to be on the other side of the line to see that. All those years, mum, get a life. She got one. And when we do... When we're doing the things that they still don't want us to do. What about your grandkids? What about them? They're your responsibility. Oh, you don't love them then? No, I love them. I love you enough to say, do one. Not this weekend. True. They think love means you you stop doing what you're doing and just surrender. No, it doesn't. I love my, my grandkids. I love them. God knows how much I love them. But guess what? He's the father. Not me. 
I spent my money raising you. Now you spend your money raising them. Because when I spend money on them, we're having fun. I'm getting something out of it. True? Absolutely. Absolutely. So here's the issue. The strength of any family can be seen in what it dedicates its life to. Now, we see many families in our society dedicating their lives to many, many things. And it's not for us to say right or wrong at this point in time. But what happens if we say to our kids, we are dedicated to God, and they don't like what you're becoming? Come on. What happens if they don't like the model? If they don't like the model you've become, they don't like the version of Christianity that you've become, what do you think that's going to do? You've got to change sometimes how you raise your children. We went through a generation where we had our kids in church every, it seemed like every day. Yes? And we expect them to sit down there coloring we had meetings after meetings after meetings after meetings. And our kids became church kids. So we neglected family time. We neglected, how do they do the homework? How are you supposed to rest as a family? How are you supposed to do all these at the church? Missed this whole dimension of family. And all it was interesting was church family. And we paid the price. We paid the price. We thought, and we just said, oh, just trust God, trust God. It wasn't about trusting God. It was about doing what God says. It's got to be about doing what God says. How to raise a family is the key, not just bringing them to church. Bringing them to church is not raising the family. That's bringing them to a meeting and sitting there. And even cultures today are still doing it. It's a game still being played. Now, I do believe we've gone too far. Too far, where you'll get families will even go to church because of a kid, right? So they're never going to serve God if the kids are dictating their life. Now, we know there's a time in a kid's life when it needs attention, and it needs special attention, right? But if you're at church every night, how would you ever give it? Come on, let's be honest. God's looking not for a church life. God's looking for a Christ life. And we confused the two. We thought because they were in church, we was Christ. But it's not. It's not. So we've got to be very careful. The dynamic was a Christ life, not a church life. And the church life, we thought because everyone was at church, they must, be, they must have Christ and they must be like Christ because they're in church. Listen, the proverb says this. Even a fool looks smart if he keeps his mouth shut. So sitting in church with your mouth shut doesn't mean to say you're wise. Because Proverbs says, a fool could do that. A fool's a fool, but yet he still knows that. So here's Samuel. Samuel realized, Samuel, sorry, Samuel had to, as a prophet had to raise another man. Now he raised him in the temple. But it wasn't just in church. He raised him in the things of God. We bring our kids to church, but don't raise them in the things of God. Hello? I am not your children's teacher. You are. 
This leadership team is not your children's teacher. You are. You have more access and more influence over your child's life than any, we will ever have. Because at best, we're a McDonald's dad. Yeah? And I can't give your kids happy meals. If your kid sits in this meeting, it's getting the same meeting, meal you're having, just like you would do at home. But what we did, we segregated the kids and we gave them happy meals, different food from the parents, and we wonder why the kids are not growing up the same. The greatest lesson I ever read about family was this. Flood the harbor and all the boats will rise. It took me a long time to understand that. When I sit down for a meal in my house, my girls get the same food. Oh, they might get a cake on the side. They might get a biscuit afterwards, but they get the same dinner we get. Why? Because meat's meat. Potatoes, potato. It's the same. I'm not having Carol cooking two lots of food. We did that when Ben was a kid. And we learned the pain of that. To keep him quiet. Oy. <laughs> if, the bean, if, if the sauce of the beans it is potato, oh, will war three. There had to be no, this was called dry land. If the gravy falls off the mountain into this part of the land, it was just hell. Oh, you can't live with that. It's crazy. Shoot him. <laughs> I'll give him a good piece of bread to mop it up. Make him cook, yeah. Don't give him gravy, yeah. Listen, we need to watch what we dedicate our lives to. The principle here is you must watch and pay attention to how much of your life it's taking. The right, listen, I can be dedicated to many things in my life. Dedication outside of God is not wrong. I'm dedicated to a lot of things in life. And each one must have the right portion. God gets number one. Carol gets number two. Yes? And then the rest is proportioned to time and season. There's a season and a time for everything. Not everything's set in stone. So we must understand what is God requiring from me. That's what I must then dedicate my life to and give it the right action. My kids have dreams and, and I want to be, I want to go to, to take the girls to gymnastics. My girls are getting into gymnastics and I want them to be there and I want to celebrate that. And that needs time and, a dead, and an element of dedication. I, need, I want to be there. I want to see all my, I want to see my grandkids grow up. Time, I've got more time today than I have to see my grandkids than I had when, they, when my kids were kids. I had a different kind of job and different, with different time constraints. So I'm making, I'm using my grandkids to correct what some of the things I got wrong. Yes? So dedication is a noble thing. Well, make sure you dedicate to the right things. Yeah? Moses discovered another dynamic. Sorry, Moses discovered a dynamic, and here's another dynamic of the family. Moses discovered the issue with many families is this. What causes you stress and what causes most families to break down is what they individually, privately, and inwardly bow down to and worship. Now, that is a follow-on from dedication. What you dedicate your life to, you can worship. Oh. If you worship the wrong things, 
you're in trouble. And what you love, you always find more time for. Moses realized there's a group of people here who didn't love what Moses loved. Moses discovered that there was a company of people who didn't think like Moses thought, didn't love what Moses loved, and didn't want and wasn't prepared to do the things needed to keep this first love, first love. So what do you do when you've got people like that? It takes the wisdom and, and grace. Yeah? It's the things people do when you're not looking that reveal what they're becoming. It's the things that people do when you're not looking that reveals the type of person they're becoming. Now, we all know the story of when mum's out the house, when, or when the, when the, when the uh, cat's away, the mice play. But it's what, it's what play, it's what kind of games they play determine the type of people they're becoming and the nature they are. And in Exodus 32, verse 22, Exodus 32, 22, it says this, and we'll close on this because you just don't have the time to go through. Just cabin crew, get ready, as we say. Do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. What a cop-out statement. But you're the one on the ground, you dipstick. You're the one supposed to be responsible for make, keeping his family righteous. Well, they said to me, Make us gods who go before us. There's one on the mountain. Why do we need any more? See, God's plural. Where there was one on the mountain, singular. God, not gods. As for this fellow Moses, who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. He's gone. What, you mean he brought you out of Egypt and now he's just going to leave you? And you think that's really smart, do you? He's got this far, and now he's gone up on the mountain, and he's just basically hiding, and he's not coming down. Listen to this rabble. So he says, so I told him. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay, I told him. Whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. And then he gave me the gold, and I threw it into the fire. So you are now a co-conspirator. You're now at the scene of the crime. You did it. You took the jewelry. You threw it into the fire. And out of it came a calf. Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control. How many times do mum see dad let the kids run riot when she's not there? Come on. How many mothers say, I thought you were looking after the kids. What? We're just having fun. Fun to you is chaos to me. <laughs> nothing, nothing was mentioned about repainting the house. Nothing was mentioned about face painted. We're just having fun. Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them go out of control and so became a laughing stock to their enemies. So the standards are dropped and if our enemies can see that you act the same as us, then you're no different. Then you're no different. So... The unrighteousness in the church, uh, in the world, should not be the same in the people. Our behavior must be different. And I don't mean on a Sunday. Whoever is for the Lord, come to me, and all the Levites rallied to them. And you know what happened then? They took the swords out, and they killed them. This was a serious business. 
there was a line they crossed. All those who are for me, come this side. All those who aren't, you're going to get it. You're going to get it. And then God dealt with the clans, the tribes, the households, the people, according to the way God instructed them. There is a dimension and a dynamic for family that when that lines cross, God gets angry. God gets angry. God gets an old English word we use. You don't hear many people hear it today is the word vexed. God gets vexed, brassed off, angry, annoyed. Why? Because he's expecting righteous families to stay righteous. Hello? Righteous families must stay righteous. All the time, God's looking at our behavior. As men and women in this room today, professed Christians, professed believers, God is looking into every household to see if there is a standard of righteousness in the house and whether your family, just like Noah's family, is coming into alignment. You don't have to teach, you don't have to be, you don't have to, your children don't have to be a Christian for you to teach them what's right. Your husband doesn't even have to be a Christian. Right is right. Right is right. So, let me just read Ephesians 3.14. And let's stand to our feet, if we will, please. So much, and I'll carry it on. God is looking for a certain dynamic from every family. So we've seen this morning that God creates clans, tribes, descendants, household. We see that God started with Adam and Eve, and then he went from Adam and Eve. He, went, he chose a father, father and creates nations. And out of those nations came tribes and so forth. We see that God is looking for a righteous family. The first righteous family was who? Noah and his family. That's the line. And out of a righteous family comes righteous leadership. Amen? We see that out of every righteous leadership, there will be a company of people who push and disagree with your leadership. But you still must stay righteous in your leadership. Amen? And the way you deal with them and the way they deal with you. So you have to bring governance and order into the environment. Yeah? And then we realize, we see that every family, what you bow down to, inwardly worship, will determine what you become. What you dedicate your life to will ultimately determine the kind of family you come in. That's when God begins to see whether you're righteous or unrighteous. Because what I don't see Emma personally bow down to, God does. And vice versa. Yes? So, Paul says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father of heaven, from whom his whole family in heaven on earth derives its name. Are you part of that family? On the assist side, are you part of that family? So, I pray out of his glorious riches that God may strengthen you with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
So God wants you to have this ingredient. He wants you to have this power to keep this family and keep this dynamic on the earth. Because listen, every day, people are challenging and breaking this apart. Right? And they're saying, well, they're broke, so what, why don't, why, if this brings more happiness, why can't this be the model? Because it's not. And the, only, the greatest argument you can ever have to any other argument is show them your family. Show them your family. Show them yourself and show them your family. Amen? How do you change a family? By changing a family. If, you, if God can change you, then others will see you. You change it one family at a time. And I believe that's the way God has told us this year to focus on the family. It's change the families in the church and let the families in church change the families outside. Do everything we can to help the families inside the church do what they need to do. So my, my aim in the next couple of weeks is to paint out what the family dynamic looks like so that you can then spend time praying into those areas and, and getting some help and some adjustments so that you can become this righteous family. Amen? Because we all need our ark. I believe in my street, in my environment, I need my ark. Yeah? Because I'm going to open my door and let others in. I'm going to save as many as I can. But I've got to do it with righteousness. God does nothing unless first looks for a righteous man. And a righteous man has a righteous family. And a righteous man with a righteous family has righteous behavior. So let's pray this prayer. If you've got your Bible, go to Ephesians 3.14 and say, Lord, give me this wisdom. Give me this. Give me your glorious riches and strengthen me with power through your Holy Ghost so that Christ may dwell in my mind and my family's hearts through faith. Lord, I need your riches. I need your power to explode on the scene. I need your power to explode in my life so I can begin to affect my environment, which is my family. Yes? Notice what he says? In your inner being. So something has to happen inside you. There has to be a revolution that takes place in you so that you can hold. Then from that, there's a grace given to hold the environment. God gives you a grace to bring your family into a line. You do it one-on-one. -on -one. You do it for walks with some sons, some daughters. You will go and have some walks. You take a drive. You take them somewhere they want to go. Why? Because now you're using the time to speak. You do it through prayer and through practice. But don't you dare try to practice without the prayer. Water the ground before you pull up the roots. If you don't water the ground, you'll never, ever, ever pull up a root. You'll pull everything else up. So water the ground first. Saturate the ground in prayer. Don't just say, Lord, Lord, just help me today, and then try and do it. No, no, no. Spend a quality time in prayer, and then wait for God to do it. When the right time, have that conversation. Have little encouragement. Have dad, dad and lads and sons and daughters. Whatever it is you need, spend that time with your kids. Bring the family. Influence the family back. Amen? Do you think you can do it? I know you can do it. That's why God's told us, to do it yeah so we need we need this verse in our lives and now we're going to pray now so we thank God that everything we need is there so let's just thank God run out out of, out of his glorious riches we thank you Lord everything's there for our families you know my family Lord Lord you know how, 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 how the behaviors of my family you know the hearts 
You know the attitudes of my family, Lord. But I thank you right now, Lord, out of the storehouse is riches. Lord, I know everything you need, Lord, is there for touching Ben, for touching Laura, for touching uh, Carol's mom and dad. I know, Lord, that everything that's there is there, Lord. I ask you, Lord, to reveal it to me, oh God. Show me how to tap into it and utilize it on the ground. Lord, I pray you give me wisdom. I pray you give me strength in my inner being through faith to show me, oh God, how to use it. Show me when to keep my mouth shut and when to open my mouth. Show me when to serve and when not to serve. Show me when to put my foot in the house and when not to put my foot in the house. Holy Spirit, lead me in my inner being. Give me the conviction of the Holy Spirit that this is the right time. This is the right season. Show me, oh God, how to bring the family back into order. Show me, Lord. I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, give me the wisdom. Lead me. Train my hands for this assignment. Train my hands for this assignment. Listen, and if you've got children who are with you and they're in, <coughs> they, they, they come to church, you still need what I'm talking about. You need this. It's not about backslidden families. This is about family. Family. Let's not put a, a, a label on it. I need wisdom, still need wisdom to raise Scott. I still need wisdom. Why? Because dad need, dad's got something that he doesn't have at this point. But he'll have it eventually. So I still need to pray for Scott's way. Even though he's walking in the will of God, I want him to walk in the, in the sovereign will of God. I want him to make sovereign choices. So we want to raise our kids, our kids are doing well, but we want them to do all that God wants for them. Amen? So Lord, we need this wisdom to raise the family to the place and position that you want and you've set for my family. You have a destiny for me and for my family. When you brought my wife and me together, Lord, you saw the picture. You saw every child serving your will, your purpose. So Lord, I'm working to that picture. That's the picture. So right now, Holy Spirit, grant to us that which we lack. Strengthen that which we have. Strengthen that which we have. Show us how to use what we have to great effect. In Jesus' name. And all the people of God said, Amen. Amen. Oh, the Lord bless you. Cafe's open.